Welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. Hello, hello, podcast world. Today on the podcast, we have PT Cody Michal, who attended Syracuse University, where he earned a bachelor's degree in health and exercise science. Cody continued his education at the George Washington University. I'm a little biased because I spent seven years of my life there. So he earned his doctoral degree in PT there. He's also a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, aka he's got his OCS. His rehab specialties include spinal pain-related conditions, orthopedic injuries, post-concussion care, and also treats running and cycling injuries. Today, we are going to get into spine rehab. So today, we've got Cody, PT. Our next episode, we're going to interview uh, one of our surgeons to talk on this topic. So let's get into it. Hello, Cody. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Becca. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today to talk about acute low back pain and how we can be better clinicians with regards to acute low back pain. So thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So as you know, well, hopefully, you know, hopefully you listen to some of our episodes that we drop, but we like to hear people's stories. So how did you get into the, the field of physical therapy? Yeah. So I think my entrance into physical therapy was uh, a little different than some of my colleagues. I grew up in a very rural area and I, you know, did a lot of activities, played a lot of sports, and fortunately no one else can see me, but I'm not the most physically imposing person. Uh, so I was hurt often and I would go, I would get hurt. I would go see the orthopedist in town and they would uh, typically do an x-ray and either say, yes, you have a fracture, here's a cast, come back in a couple months or say, uh, nope, you don't have anything broke. Uh, go back to, you know, take a couple of Advil and, and get back out there. And I always felt uh, that that felt sort of weird. I always felt like there's got to be something. There's got to be something else. And I was, I believe, a senior in high school and I was getting ready to decide what I was going to do when I uh, go on to college. And I was in, I think I was in our high school library and I found uh, back when we had actual magazines, there was a magazine and it had uh, like a top 10 list, top 10 jobs in the next 10 years, something like that. It was definitely not the top of the list, but I think it was number nine. I saw a physical therapist. I truly had no idea what physical therapy was. I knew some guys in the soccer team that had torn their ACL, had to go to physical therapy after they had surgery. So I was sort of familiar in it, with it in that way. And I just I just looked into what what is physical therapy. And it was a really... Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just sort of a, a something I, I felt sort of uh, kind of filled that gap, right? I, that always wanting to know, like, well, what else can I, what else is there in between doing absolutely nothing and uh, in surgery or doing absolutely nothing and getting a cast? So I, the school I was planning to go to had a pre-physical therapy program. So I studied uh, exercise science, pre-physical therapy, and then went on to physical therapy school after that. And uh it's been a it's been a great journey thus far. You're a G-Dub grad, is that right? That is correct, absolutely. You're, you're so, speaking uh, to a fellow G-Dub grad. Revolutionaries now, I believe. 
Yes, yes. We're no longer the colonials, the revolutionaries. That's what, yes. is what we are. Raise high. Still raise high. Indeed. <laughs> yes, awesome. Okay. So how did you, I know you kind of are involved with Metzar Health's uh, spine program. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what, what that means and what you do? Sure. So we started this program a little over a year ago. And originally it developed because we saw a need for for specialized clinicians when it came to spine care. So with physical therapy, it's a little bit different than, than uh, physicians, uh, let's say, where you know everyone ends up specializing uh, in a very uh, sort of a niche uh, area. So for physical therapy, you know, we we have a lot more broad practice, uh, I would say. So for us, we wanted to have a, a group of therapists who we felt really confident, really comfortable that if somebody comes through the doors that uh, has a higher level of need when it comes to spine care, that these are the therapists of choice, so to speak. So they're going to be the ones that have done advanced training. They're the ones that are really uh, well-versed in their their anatomy, their red flags, so that they they know if they're treating someone that if it's not um, if it's not going according to plan, they know to get them off to the correct provider. Um, and that, that's really how it sort of started was this need, and it's grown into um, a little bit more of a specialty track in that we have a group of providers now who we are meeting with regularly to. Uh, basically, you know, further our skills when it comes to providing providing great uh, care for these patients. And I, I didn't intend for this to be a plug for MedStar Health Physical Therapy, but one of the cool things about working for this company, this network, is that there are so many different courses depending on what you're interested in. We have these tracks available to better hone your skills if this is what you're interested in. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into the topic of acute low back pain. So can you take me through? Like patient X, they suddenly have low back pain. What is like a typical course of treatment or a course of action that this patient might uh, experience? Yeah, so I think traditionally uh, somebody, we can just say they have that that truly acute low back pain. They're doing, doing something or they get out of bed or move wrong or go to put their sock on. You know, it's usually typically not some crazy uh, event that leads to this, um, but they end up with with uh, very debilitating pain, you know, they're, they're, uh, almost like a complete loss of function. It's it's very it's quite scary, frankly, um, when this happens. I've certainly had it happen myself a couple times. It's not it's definitely not fun. And I think the normal course is to either uh, basically do nothing, you know, on your own for a little while and just see if it improves. Or frankly, a lot of times people end up uh, going to get get it checked out. Typically, that's going to be at an urgent care or an emergency department. So they have acute back pain. They're typically, you know, it's they're going to the emergency department in the middle of the night, usually, because they can't sleep. It's been a couple of nights. They're having maybe radiating pain down their leg. Um, they're going to go to the emergency department where they're going to be there for quite some time because they're going to get triage and it's not, it's not life-threatening, even though it's uh, quite debilitating. They're going to have whatever sort of tests and imaging done. And then they're going to usually be sent on their way with some sort of medication. Um, oftentimes, uh, I typically see people being prescribed muscle relaxers, things of that nature. Uh, oftentimes, they're told to follow up with two people. One's going to be their primary care doc, and the other one's going to be perhaps a, a specialist, perhaps like an orthopedic uh, spine specialist. And they may or may not take 
their orders uh, as as intended. Uh, but if they do, maybe they check in with their primary care doc uh, a couple weeks later. Maybe it takes a little bit longer to get in to see that specialist. And unfortunately, what happens for a lot of these folks is that they're eventually working themselves, being worked through the system. They don't have any structural issue that necessitates like a surgical intervention, let's say, and they're sent to physical therapy. Well, if all those things happen in the normal uh, length of time, it's probably going to be four to eight weeks later where we actually see them in clinic. And unfortunately, we know that's an issue in that they have not been, uh, well, frankly, they might not have been receiving much in the way of, of care at all over that period of time. Um, or, or certainly uh, on the other side of things, perhaps even doing things or not doing things which could really be beneficial. And they could have uh, maybe even perhaps worked out of that acute low back pain episode in that length of time. How can we do better? Because this is, I, I, and we are doing better. This like That's why I kind of want to talk about this because we are making efforts to change this course and get patients in much quicker with direct access. That's one benefit of it. Um, but how can we do better as PTs and helping educate doctors or whatever means to get patients in our doors much quicker? Yeah, I think it really starts with getting back to what we were talking about before is really just providing great care in general. I think when we have a track record, like we, we truly have over a period of time where we have uh, helped a lot of these patients, I think we gain the trust of both the uh, patients as well as our, our physician partners. Um, the other thing I think a lot of people don't know that they can go directly to physical therapy. Uh, traditionally, it was most, and, and frankly, it's it's dictated by insurance a lot of times. Our, our insurance plan dictated, I go see my primary care to get my referral to a specialist, whether that's physical therapy or, or another provider. So just making sure uh, patients are educated on that. It's very interesting. So I've worked in the D.C. area for for a number of years, and a lot of the folks that I've been able to work with that are um, uh, from from other countries, it's very interesting because they their their first stop is usually physical therapy. They typically say, "Oh, I you know I've had this before. I went to see the physio, saw him for a month. They gave me some exercises. They helped me out with a few things, and it's just sort of." Um, kind of second nature. So that was really eye-opening for me to say, oh gosh, like this isn't the way it everywhere works. You know, our system um, certainly has some challenges to it. And I think the big thing is edu education on that front, and then also educating our, our physician partners too, and letting them know what we do. I think one thing that's been very interesting uh, in the the time I've been working with the, the SPINE program is we have gotten a chance to speak with um, some of our physician partners that are doing their fellowship training. And it's it's been very eye-opening and rewarding because they've been very blunt sometimes in asking or saying, uh, we're not really quite sure what happens when we when we make that referral, we hit, you know, we hit send, go to physical therapy. We're not really quite sure what happens uh, with those patients. So it's been a really great opportunity for us to get in front of these um, partners and say, hey, this is this is what we do. This is what happens. These are th and also these are the things we are we are not doing. I think that's another thing too is letting them know that these these patients are are in good hands when they come see us. Having I work with a lot of athletes, it feels just different. You know, we walk down the hall, talk to our surgeons all the time. Someone's going through an ACL rehab, and I don't know that there's more open dialogue. It seems for the sports patients or orthopedic stuff versus 
spine for whatever reason, kind of like what you're saying, like patient goes, has low back pain, they're referred to PT, they're with us, they may not even see their doctor again, and that's it. So it, it just feels like a different dynamic, and I'm not sure why that is. So I'm happy to hear that these conversations are being had more often and getting into the doctor's brains, like planting that seed earlier on in their career. Um, so they get into the habit of understanding what we do and then being able to trust that we're going to do the right thing and, and help our mutual patients get better faster. Yeah. And I think one thing that I found that is a little bit different when it comes to uh, caring for these patients versus our, our, our typical sports patients or, or other um, kind of subsets of patients is that um, it, there's a lot of providers that treat low back pain. I think we get a little silent sometimes saying, oh, physical therapy, of course, we're going to be treating these patients. Well, they might be treating, um, being treated by other practitioners. It might be a, they, they're going to a chiropractor. They might be seeing, um, maybe they're working with a trainer at the gym that says, hey, you know, let me help you out with that. Let's give you a few stretches. Let's let's work on this together. Maybe it's uh, they're going for acupuncture and things like that. So I think when it comes to spine care, it's a, it's, it's interesting in that there's a lot of different providers that might be helping these patients out. And like you said, it's, it's a little bit um, more challenging, a little bit more fragmented sometimes when it comes to, comes to their care. Definitely. Uh, you started to talk about, we see these patients, you know, often in the clinic, we'll see patients and we're treating them for X, Y, or Z. And I don't know if you've ever gotten the call. I've gotten the call as, as a clinician for many years now, you build those relationships and when something happens, you're the first one they go to and you get a call and you're like, Becca, I can't move. Like I bent over to unplug the plug and my back went and I can't move. Can you help me? So new physical therapist gets this call. What do they do? Patient comes into your clinic and they're like, I could barely get in the car. Like I'm miserable. They can barely stand up straight. As a new grad, you might freak out a little bit. You're like, I'm scared to touch this person. I'm going to hurt them. They're already in miserable pain. Like, what do I do? So where would you suggest we start with someone comes in the door, they text you, Cody, help me. Yeah, I think that's, uh, well, that's great that they they reached out. They knew, hey, I know where to go for this because uh, yep. you probably have helped them out with something similar in the past. And, you know, I think the, the first thing is, can you get here? If you can get to the clinic, great. We're, that, that's a great start. The other thing we've got to make sure is that we got to make sure these folks are in the right clinic. Now, the numbers vary, but. 90 some percent of the time it, when somebody has a, an acute low back pain episode, it's it's not it's not anything out of the ordinary. It's not some crazy red flag situation, but it can be. So we got to we got to do our due diligence, even if it's somebody you've worked with before. And I think that's sometimes um, we might miss that step sometimes if it's somebody you're familiar with. But let, let's make sure they're in the right spot first. And then we've got to figure out, OK. What's going on? We can talk about, you know, how this all came about uh, as well, but we got to figure out what's going on with them. Okay, is this is this just, you know, your run of the mill mechanical? Uh, what's it say on the referral? Non-specific low back pain uh, that we that we're treating. Is this some sort of? Uh, do we have some sort of neur neural involvement? We got to make sure we're we're aware of that as well, and then we're gonna we're gonna go from there. I think the big thing is. And this is crucial when it comes to these patients too. I think um, we overlook this sometimes in that, yes, we absolutely want to improve uh, everyone's function. I think sometimes pain is sort of a, a secondary result of that. And we, we know that if we get you moving better and stronger, oftentimes you feel better. 
um, when these episodes, I think it's really important that we're, we're helping these patients feel better um, immediately in whatever way we can. And sometimes that's really easy stuff, like showing them how to move. Showing that They might have said, I had to have my son come over and tie my shoes. I could barely get out of bed. I had to have my you know seat reclined all the way in the car even to get here. So just helping them out with, with some of those things that it's sort of um, second nature for us. I think we just you know say those things and don't even think about it. Um, but making sure we're doing everything we can to, to at least make sure they're they're getting uh, a little bit more comfortable. And also, we know that the language we use and the way we present things is is so important, perhaps nowhere more important than with these patients. So if we c- come in and say, oh, ooh, geez, you know, don't do that. Um, oh, make sure you're you're not don't 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 bend over. Don't don't do this. I want you to lay in bed for a couple of days. That, that we're really enabling them and letting them know, hey, I, I know this is really tough, but this absolutely will get better. We know that. I've, I've dealt with this. I've helped a lot of patients with this. We know what to do for this. And it really, I think, is important to set that tone early on to let them, let's, let's focus more on what you can do right now rather than what you can't do. That is so, so important. Language matters so much. And that speaks again to getting these patients in quicker to us so that they're not in this protective mode and that fear has been built up and they're scared to do anything because we know breaking that is very, very challenging and takes can take a very long time. Yeah, indeed. I think that's 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 huge. I was I was thinking when we were we're looking at some of the articles that we might talk about here. Um, you know, it's going back to it. We got these great clini- clinical practice guidelines. We have clinicians who devote so much time and look at all the research. And I vividly remember it in school, uh, physical therapy school, coming across the language in that 2012 practice guideline that said, do not talk about pathoanatomical, like don't use pathoanatomical language, talk, you know, really setting the tone with that, even back then. And I think that's something that, frankly, we could still do better with, you know, that that's really important. It's, it's so common that uh, somebody, let's, let's take these same patients, the acute low back pain patient goes in, they go to the emergency department, they, they get an x-ray because that's, that's what you do. And there's, there's nothing structural. There's no fracture, right? An x-ray is designed to tell you you don't have a fracture. And if you didn't fall off the roof over the weekend, you, you could, right? Compression fraction, fractures happen. But if you don't, um, the other stuff on there we know is not as uh, helpful. So they might have had this acute low back pain episode. They've never had back pain before. But they go, they get their image. And the doc comes in and says, yep, everything looks fine. You've just got a little bit of arthritis in that lower back. And the patient goes, I have arthritis, right? Like it's a very, it's one of those things that I think is so commonplace and and also can really set the tone um, for these patients to get into um, uh, some of the, like the fear avoidant act, uh, uh, activities, right? Oh, geez, I don't, I don't want to make that worse. So gosh, maybe I shouldn't run anymore. So it's really, really important for us, I think, as that provider, because we get to spend a little bit more time with these patients to really make sure we're educating them on on, on the whole picture. Uh, This makes me think of a story when I was uh, seeing an e-surgeon myself, and they told me, I think they used the word like damaged or deteriorated or like one of those words. And if I didn't know any better, 
I would have kind of felt this fragility and maybe not engage in activities that bring me joy. And that can lead to whole sequelae of other issues. So yeah, just reiterating the point that language really matters and instilling confidence in our patient is so, so important. Absolutely. Yeah. You start to mention some red flags that we need to be aware of when treating patients with acute low back pain. Can you list off a few of those that we need to be aware of? Yeah, certainly. So I think the the big ones that we often are, are talking about when we do our differential diagnosis, either courses or we're studying for the board exam, one of the things that always comes up is catoquina, which is really, it's very out of the ordinary. It is not, um, it is not just low back pain. They're going to have that neurologic involvement. They've got um, some sort of pathology that's causing you know, s- significant nerve root compression. They're going to have all sorts of uh, uh, symptoms that are going to be related to that. So that's certainly something we want to make sure we're asking about. Are you having any bowel or bladder changes? Talking about sensory changes um, in the you know upper upper medial thigh, things of that nature. Um, a lot of times people will not associate their back pain and also those symptoms. Um, so make sure we're asking specifically for that. Uh, the other thing that we want to make sure we're screening for is, is that uh, history of cancer. So we do know that um, a few types of, of cancer in particular do metastasize the spine. When it comes to acute back pain, it's typically low back pain. And we do know that actually most of the time compression fractures and metastases are, are going to target the thoracic spine. But it's definitely something that we need to be aware of as well. Um, the other things that we need to be aware of would be more of that um, bony pathology, perhaps this person did have a fall. So it's definitely, you know, good to go into a little bit more of details of, hey, you know, have you had a bone density scan before? What's, you know, get an idea of their bone health. So those are some of the big red flags we want to make sure we are uh, screening for with these patients. How do you feel about diving into a couple of these articles that you uh, you sent me? Yeah, I feel great about that. Okay, cool. Which one do you want to do on tackle lumbar manipulation or jar needling first? Uh, let's do, uh, let's go with the manipulation one. I thought that was a really nice article. Okay. So tell us about this clinical prediction rule and who is a candidate for a manipulation off the bat. Yeah. So in the early 2000s, this uh, clinical prediction rule was developed. So they did these, this study where they, they found basically five factors, five factors which were associated with a positive outcome from lumbar manipulation. Um, the big, the big two for that is not having any symptoms distal to the knee, and then uh, onset of symptoms in the past 16 days. The other ones were uh, there's three others. One is um, uh, having uh, an area of hypermobility in the back, which is probably every, you know, everyone um, having one hip that has internal rotation that met the threshold, which I believe is 35 degrees. And the other one is is basically having a um, uh, a low score on the, uh, the fab Q, the work subscale. So basically, you know, we were talking about before, um, these are our typical like copers or not having any of that, that fear avoidance um, concern on board. So they validated this study. Then the study we were we're talking about here was done in 2009. And basically what they did is they took that original uh, clinical prediction rule. They applied it to patients and they separated them into three groups. One got the type of manipulation they did in the first study, which is sort of the uh, supine uh, uh, 
uh, lumbar manipulation technique. The other one was the sideline lumbar manipulation technique. Then what I thought they did, what they did with the third group was quite interesting, which is they they didn't manipulate them. They said, okay, we're going to do our usual, we're just going to do our our mobi- mobilization, so our larger oscillation, um, uh, slower uh, mobilizations, and they basically uh, broke them down into those groups. So we got the original rule, which identified these folks, and then also in the article in 2009, they examined, okay, so what happens if you do meet this criteria? We know it's it's helpful that these folks, when they get the manipulation, they, they do quite well versus the ones that don't. But what's the difference between, would they just get better with anything? And I thought that's what this study um, mm-hmm. showed me a little bit more. Yeah, so what did they find? Yeah, so very interesting. Basically that the, all three groups got better, right? Which I think we see in clinical practice. That's that's There's a lot of different things that work, but the two groups that got the manipulation, they showed greater improvement, right? They saw, uh, less pain at follow-up and they also had less disability and i think what this study really speaks to is i was studying for the the orthopedic exam a few years ago in this study they presented it as as what what about the harm from withholding treatment right so we oftentimes think about we're discussing making sure we don't cause further harm if we're missing something and i think a lot of times at least with physical therapy training in the in our our um, DPT program, we're sort of geared towards um, identification of red flags, you know, do no harm, making sure we're covering our bases. But what about the harm that we could possibly um, be be sort of exemplifying from withholding a treatment that we know is more efficacious? And that's that was that was you know a light bulb went off for me when I was when I was reading this the first time, thinking. Oh my gosh! You know, this is the type of information I can never, uh, never forget now, right? So the when the patient comes in, and I go, oh geez, you know, what 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 do I think the best treatment? Like, what should we do today for this patient? And this is just going off in the back of my mind as you've got to at least present this as an option because it is it is best practice. So for a newer clinician that is interested in be getting into the spine a little more, where would you recommend they learn these techniques if they didn't learn them in PT school? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for, at least in my experience, I've sought out the training that that covers this specifically. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of different options out there. And just like this study shows, I think it's, it's not as important what, um, what technique maybe we're, we're, we're learning. And uh, for me, I'm a slow learner, so I get as much of it as I can. Um, some of the specific courses that are offered that I think do a really good job are the Maitland, the MAPS courses, um, ICE, Institute of Clinical Excellence. They actually have a total spine thrust course that I've, that I've taken that's really great. And there's also uh, some others. I recently just actually took one um, that was put on in conjunction with one of the universe, local universities over at Marymount University. They had a, a great uh, clinician from Australia um, come over who uh, taught a manipulation course. So there's certainly a lot out there. I think the big thing when it comes to these types of uh, courses and techniques is that it's it's 
it's a lot of information that you cover in a weekend. And then it really comes down to implementing and practicing after. Because yeah, frankly, I, these are hard psychomotor skills. They're, they're, they're difficult. And not every technique works for every patient. So to really get, get um, proficient, I think, just like anything else, it really takes a lot of practice. So uh, practicing with uh, you know, maybe colleagues in the clinic is, is certainly a good way to start after, after you go to those courses initially. In conjunction with doing something like this, what other treatments are you doing with these patients in their first couple of weeks when they are presenting with low back, acute low back pain to your office? Yeah, I think it's it's going to depend a little bit on what their prior level of function was, but but really simply, we're going to be working on some sort of uh, some sort of way of getting that pain under control. And we know, we were just talking about w- what the they found from those manipulation studies was that they their qualifier for success was a fifty percent improvement on the on our Oswestry, so a, a, a kind of a disability questionnaire. Within within two weeks, I think yep. it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 massive. So if there's yep. something we can do like that to get that pain down, uh, we're already talking about uh, making sure we're we're being straightforward with okay. The way we're going to work through this is is not by uh, sitting at home on the heating pad. So giving them, uh, I think, developing a, a plan of action in terms of okay, what are you able to do right now? And it, that might be some really simple mobility exercises. We steal a lot of stuff from, you know, uh, yoga and things like that just to help get them moving. And then, you know, as we progress in those first couple of weeks, we do want them using using whatever they've got, basically. So that might be, you know, doing some body weight strengthening exercise to get started with. Almost always we're going to try to transition to uh, weight bearing strength right? Because there's something with the spine that differs from other areas. And that if somebody comes in, they hurt their knee or they hurt their shoulder, almost always, you know, I'm finding people say, oh, I just got to get this stronger. I got to get stronger again. And then when it comes to the back, people go, whoa, wait a minute. I don't want to do too much. I don't want to, I don't want to make this worse. And I think that's where we, we miss the, the mark a little bit is is we kind of skip over that that strengthening piece. So after those first couple of weeks, you know, I'm always trying to 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 trick people into doing strengthening. You know, I say that you know as a joke, but but really making sure that we're we're giving them that because that's going to be the glue that holds everything together in the end. I, I appreciate that perspective. I will get a patient off that table as fast as possible, and and oftentimes the joy of what we do is that. We can show these patients that they're capable of doing so much more than they think. I knew you were joking about saying tricking them in, but really it is showing them in different movement patterns that they can do X, Y, or Z, and they're not going to hurt themselves. And yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Yep. Yeah. One thing I've found that's been really helpful, actually, just specifically, is we got a you know pretty common piece of equipment in the gym, just the the landmine, you know, sort of the the barbell sticks into the corner into this little tube, and if I lay a barbell horizontal in front of someone's legs with two weights and I say, let's lift this today, a lot of the folks I work with are going to go, are you crazy? I've never done that before. No way. Did you not hear me? I hurt my back two weeks ago, um, put, putting mulch in the garden. I'm, no way am I doing this. But with the landmine, I, I don't know what it is. It's going the other way. It's perpendicular to them. 
I put a weight on the end of that and I, I just show them, hey, do you think you could kind of get into this position? We've already been working on it with with this other stuff we were doing. And then basically, you know, just hold on to this, don't drop it and stand up and approach it in that way. I found that, it, you know, it's a lot more um, uh, uh, acceptable for folks. And once they've been able to do that, uh, maybe we can progress. And I think making it meaningful is, is huge, right? And a lot of times, uh, again, sticking with the lifting, folks who might not have had a background in that don't really feel comfortable and might say, why on earth am I having to do this? You know, I ask them, hey, you're talking about your your three-year-old grandson the other day. Like, how big do you think he is? And they're like, well, huge. He's huge. He's getting bigger every day. Every time I see him, he comes and jumps on me. And we can say, hey, this is going to help you with that. When he's running over to you and he's jumping into your arms, you're, you're going to be so much better conditioned because your, your physical therapist means you do it, you know, a couple of times a week for the, the four weeks you were going to see him a um, couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago. For the sake of time, I know we could dive into one article and talk for hours about one simple article, but can we quickly kind of summarize the uh, giant needling article? Because I know that's a modality that I use a lot. A lot of us are using a lot. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, summarize that article for us? And yeah. Absolutely. So a little different. They they chose folks that had a, a disc issue for this one. Um, they were having radiating pain and they basically put them into two groups. One group got standard physical therapy. And then one group got dry needling in conjunction with that. Every other visit, they did it five visits very similar to the manipulation article in that both groups got better, but the group that got the dry needling uh, showed, showed greater improvement. And I think that's that's huge. We were talking about it before. Um, time is of the essence a bit with these patients um, in that we need to be making pretty considerable gains, I think, to really keep them on board, um, especially when it comes to our spine patients. If we're not, if they're not better within a couple of weeks, I think they're gonna start looking uh, looking elsewhere for what they might might need. And unfortunately, they might be um, seeking care that they might not have needed otherwise. Yeah, it's a great toy. The article didn't talk about testing myotomes and talked a lot about more of the global muscles like quadratus lumborum. Um, yeah, just bigger muscles, I guess, versus like hitting the altipedi more, which is something I learned a lot in my dry needling class. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. I see drastic changes pretty quickly with it. And you know, educating at that point when your patient's in that much pain, they're willing to do anything, but having language to explain like what exactly we're doing, because you're coming to PT, they're not expecting to get needles stuck in them all the time. So very useful tool that I found in treating this population. Yeah, I, I found the same thing. I The way I present it is, is that I, it's something that I found that, that seems to speed up the process. And we have a pretty good, you know, we have some theories on, on how and why, and I'm happy to, to share that with with folks, and but at the end of the day, I, I just find that um, kind of this uh, taking it from ISIS and not or. You know, when we do dry needling and manipulation and exercise and get you, you know, going back to your cardio program and addressing things we didn't even have time to today with sleep and diet and things like that. It really that that's what that's what seems to make the biggest impact. Yeah. So kind of in summary, we're talking about adding, having as many tools in your toolbox, really having the manual skills, having the dry needling skills, the strength and conditioning part of it. Um, yeah. Just getting these patients moving as fast as we can, as safely as we can. Instilling that confidence is huge in them. Absolutely. I think we're really, 
for the reason you just mentioned, we're really well equipped to, to help these patients out because of all that we do have to offer um, in all these different uh, areas that you just mentioned. Uh, as we wrap up, is there anything that we, did, I know we went super fast on this topic, but is there anything else that you're itching or yearning to tell this uh, audience about with regards to acute low back pain? I think the, the big thing is that the, the more, um, the more comfortable you are treating these patients, it's, it really is, is something that it's somehow it's the number one condition we see yet a very low percentage of people are actually referred to physical therapy when they have acute low back pain. So even though we're already doing a great job, I, I think there's still room to grow in this area. And I think, um, choosing to seek out, we all have to do continuing education and see, the more that uh, I've been able to do in in that realm, the more confident and comfortable I felt when these folks are coming in the door. We like to end our episodes with favorite quotes. So Cody, what is a quote that moves you, drives you, and inspires you? doesn't have to be PT related, but what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, and I hope I get it right, uh, is from Greg LeMond, the uh, fairly uh, large bike race just wrapped up and uh, one of his, the the quotes attributed to him is, you know, it never gets easier. You just get faster. And I, I just love that, whether it's athletics, uh, in career, in life, it, uh, it does seem like things, uh, while they continue to progress, it might not get easier, but it's, you certainly get better, faster. And, and uh, ultimately, I think, uh, are more um, uh, content and better for it. I think that's very fitting for this topic. The more we practice these skills, the better we get at them, the faster our patients get better. So yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Cody, where can people find you? Uh, I treat out of our Chevy Chase South location. It's at uh, 5454 Wisconsin, right um, just outside of D.C. And otherwise, I'm pretty low tech. I have a LinkedIn. That's just my name. But uh, that's pretty much it for me. Sweet. Awesome. Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Becca. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at PT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.